one. Your scene to chat about family, life, and of course, Humphreys McGee. I'm Sarah Jahimiak, podcast host, writer, mom of three, wife, and total Humphrey. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode, which featured my recap of Umphrey's recent stop at the Ritz in Raleigh, North Carolina on July 18th, Virginia Credit Union Live in Richmond, Virginia on July 19th, and at Camp Bisco on July 20th. There is a link in the show notes where you can check that out if you have not. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you all about Swift Charge. If you were at summer camp or Electric Forest earlier in the summer, maybe you saw their booths or used their service. I mentioned in my summer camp recap episode how nice it was to have their charger during the entire weekend. If you're not sure exactly what Swift Charge provides, you pre-order a charger and go to pick it up at the booth when you get to the festival, and it suction cups right to the back of your phone and charges while you rage the show. Your charger runs out of juice. You take it back to the booth and just switch it out for a new one. Unlimited charging the entire weekend. And did you know that the charger is yours to keep forever? Yes. Keep your charger and you can plug it in at home to recharge it and take it anywhere with you. I throw mine in my purse and use it when I'm out with my kids, running errands, or when I'm on a road trip, whatever. I love everything about this. Swift Charge will be providing portable charging, yes, that includes for your vape pen too, at live music festivals throughout the summer. There is a link to their site in the show notes where you can see a complete list of where they will be this summer. And especially for my listeners, if you use promo code Sarah, S-A-R-A at checkout, when you pre-order a charger for your next festival, you receive 10% off. That's promo code Sarah, S-A-R-A, at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off. Also, I wanted to mention, if you're looking to get the word out about your shirts, pins, jewelry, prints, band that's going on tour, or small business that is looking to work with some kind, like-minded folks, Um Freak Parents Podcast would love to help you get the word out. UPP is currently offering custom-made packages that will fit your specific needs and budget. Packages include ad time on the podcast, social media plugs, product reviews, and more. With an average 200 downloads per episode and about 50 new episodes a year, when you advertise with UPP, your ad will be heard by tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow ump family. Email umfreakparentspodcast at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more. This week, I'll be bringing you my chat with entrepreneur, podcast host, husband, dad, fellow umfreak, and co-author of the just-released book, The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career, Matt DeCourcy. Matt, along with Joel Cummins, put together this awesome book that has lots of great life advice that anyone can use, not just people looking to pursue a career in music. In addition to breaking down each aspect and scenario you may encounter on your journey, there are also really great conversations with Huey Lewis, Susan Tedeschi, Victor Wooten, Jake Sinegar, 
Kevin Browning and Vince Winsky, Umphrey's managers, if you didn't know, and Umphrey's stage manager, Robbie Williams, and many, many other music folks. A really great read, and it has a very nice flow to it. It does come in at almost 400 pages, but like I said, it has a lot of great information that does even touch on other jobs outside of being up on the stage playing an instrument, which I thought was very interesting as well. Even just an Umphreys fan interested in the workings of the machine of Umphreys would find this book interesting. This is a part one of sorts chatting about this book. Joel is not included in this conversation. We do talk about him, but he's not in this conversation. Um, But he will be on by himself in the future to offer his insight on this project. Looking forward to that. There is a link in the show notes where you can purchase the book if you're interested. And here is my chat with entrepreneur, podcast host, husband, dad, fellow Umfreak, and co-author Matt DeCourcy. Enjoy. It was a, a really good read. Um, and that, you know, especially personally, I have zero interest in being in the music business. Um, you know, I... I'm a journalist, a writer. I'm not, I don't play any instruments, but this was a very good, good read, even if it was not something that I was very interested in. So that says a lot um, that it kept the interest of someone that's not looking to get into a music career. Um, But I thought it was very informative too. It was uh, very well written. It didn't make uh especially me somebody like I said I have no real knowledge in in this field so it didn't make me feel uh stupid in layman's terms you know it didn't make me feel like you know it was above my knowledge or anything so it was it was very well written and you know very informative and it was very cool to get some different you know a different uh, spectrum of what it really entails to do that. So sure. I guess my my first question to you is, how did this whole thing get started? Who first brought up the idea? Kind of take us through, you know, the first idea to the physical copy. Well, there's there's uh, you know the story. I've known Joel and the guys in Humphreys for about 12 years. And my introduction to them started, I used to work for Roland, uh, the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. And kind of a long story there, but, you know, kind of ran into the guys from Humphreys. They're my same age. Uh, This was 12 years ago. Um, And, you know, we kind of got to know each other over time. Uh, I've, this is my third book. So, um, with that, I've been down the road of, of writing and I've learned quite a bit and, you know, Joel and I had kind of discussed some different topics that we could potentially do a book about. Um, even at one point I, I suggested doing a book about Humphreys and, um, in that regard, I think that they felt that their story is still being written and it's understandable because they're still doing a lot of stuff with that. So Joel and I were kind of kicking around ideas. And now this was two years ago at this point, um, almost exactly. Uh, so they were in Kansas city in August of 2017, I believe. 
And so my first book was titled Balance Me, uh, A Realist Guide to a Successful Life. And Joel was one of the people that I interviewed in there. Uh, why? Because, well, he's on the road like all day, every day. And that's, you know, presents some challenging life balance stuff. So um, I love the idea of the realist guide as uh, a subject that you could do a whole lot of stuff about. And having worked in the music industry for eight years, I realized that, you know, what you see on stage is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many different things that go on in the music industry. Um, I knew I had a few things to offer there myself. And so I just kind of threw that out. I said, the realist guide to a successful music career and got a text back that said, perfect. And that's how we agreed to write a book, basically. I mean, there was a few, there was a few more, you know, things with that, that we had to agree upon, but uh, past that, it was pretty easy. And that's how it came up. It's like I said, it's a great, great idea. It's, you know, to each of the different uh, parts that someone would encounter um, if, you know, this is what they decided to do with their life. And I, I like the real part of it. I like the parts of it that are like, okay, if this is not something you're thinking about, it's something you should be. And if it's not what you want to do, then maybe this isn't for you. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, it's encouraging. You can do this, but (laughs) you also need to be realistic about how life is and and things like that. Yeah, and that was important. That was important. So, you know, my background at this point is more so as uh, someone who, you know, I have a podcast called Startup Hustle that comes out four days a week. Um, I'm a startup guy. I help people build businesses. And, um, you know, as much as the, quote, business part, you know, that's not necessarily sexy. Like we say in the book, you don't become a musician because you're passionate about making money. And it's a subject that, uh, you know, a lot of music doesn't, musicians and uh, just acts don't want to get into. But the fact is, if you're going to make a living, you have to embrace some of that. So in the very beginning of the book, uh, you know, as Joel and I kind of discussed the format and kind of got the layout down, you know, that, that, that part is where I felt I added most of my best stuff about the book is like, Hey, look, you have to have an idea of what you're stepping into and, and, you know, your bandmates or your business partners and all this different stuff. And like, exactly what should you expect? What are you going to go through? Cause I think too many people think that um, these, any of these guys, like meaning Umphreys or anyone else that they find success right away. I mean, even the people you think that found success right away usually didn't. And it's a tough road. It's very humbling. Uh, you have to you have to have a, some things go right, and you also there's some things. There's some obvious pitfalls. Like one of the examples was if you have if you're in a band of four people and one person just doesn't ever want to leave the hometown, you're not going to be a touring artist. It's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. And and each time you run into those little setbacks, it's something else like you have to fix in that apparatus if you want it to keep functioning and moving on. So some of the stuff that's important, whether it's a business, a band or anything else is getting people that have an alignment 
with the same goals. Like they want the same things and they have the same motivations and, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the things that actually is amazing about Humphreys McGee is uh, for those of you that, that don't see the other stuff that doesn't occur on the stage, like they, they run a very efficient business. They are very organized. They're very thoughtful. Um, they do a lot of planning and, you know, that's always impressed me. And that's what, you know, kind of helped bring this topic up because Joel is a very, very uh, knowledgeable person about that part of, uh, of music as well. Mm-hmm. There, the, that's one of the things that I've said many, many times that I love about Umphreys, obviously, besides, you know, the this thing that you see when you buy a ticket is the crew that's behind them, the yeah. people that are, you know, essentially, you know, doing all the work behind the scenes. And, you know, as a mother, I can appreciate that because it's the same way being being a mom, you know, the mom yeah. is the one that's you know doing all these things behind the scenes and making sure that all these things are taken care of so that what you see presented to the world is this well-oiled machine that's, you know, functioning properly and all the pieces are doing what they're supposed to, you know, their crew, all the people is just, it's amazing. And the fact that they've been able to find all of these people that have that same passion and commitment and drive has been very cool too. Yeah, they definitely have uh, some mothers and father figures there, you know, that, that do some stuff. And I think that's important, but I mean, one thing that they definitely have going on is they have a lot of people that, that are believe in what they do and they believe in what they do. And that, you know, like, look, there's good days, there's bad days and all this stuff. And that's important stuff. If you want to, maintain lasting and productive relationships with people is that you kind of have to have a belief that it's worth maintaining. And I think that they do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, um, how were the interviews in, in the book uh, split up? I know Joel did most of them. So was that part of having uh, peers um, in his field was that his idea to have people come in or was that a format that was in your first book? So my, my first two books actually followed the same, the similar format. Um, and for the realist guide to, to, to a successful music career, we used the same editor. Um, and by the way, I got to give that guy a shout out. So, you know, so much of putting anything out, that has a high quality to it. Like you, you know, you said it's well-written. Well, you don't have to be a great writer to write a great book, but you do have to have a great editor. (laughs) And um, so ours was Patrick Price. Now Patrick's been the editor on a a dozen different New York Times bestsellers. And he specializes in what's known as narrative nonfiction. So that's memoirs or stories or things. I mean, this book was narrative nonfiction. Um, well, some, somewhat. Um, it's more kind of a, a little more along the how-to guide, but Patrick's really well known because he was the editor and person who discovered, uh, do you remember He's Not That Into You? Yes. So he was the guy that discovered that whole thing. It had been passed over by like 15 different publishing houses and he saw it and he said, you know what, this would be better, but he made a couple changes. Next thing you know, it's a huge franchise. But so I hired Patrick worked for just me for a year 
And with that, our goal was to get my first two books out and then also to create something that was repeatable. So we, when Joel and I started this, part of what, you know, you, you talk about having a co-author. Well, look, here's the thing. I'm not a rock star and I don't have 20 years of, of experience on the road. Um, I mean, that's tough to do as it is. So obviously those parts are related to Joel, but what I did have is a, a blueprint for creating a book and having done it, I learned a lot. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you're a journalist and writing's hard. Like people don't really realize how hard writing is until you get past that like thousandth word and you're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as far as the conversations go, and I prefer to call them conversations, not necessarily interviews, even though sometimes I, I slip that word out. Um, but here's the thing is you look at the people that are in this book and how, I mean, information is only as credible as its source. And mm -hmm. the people that Joel was able to bring into this book, like, I mean, wow, like what an amazing, I mean, everyone, really? everyone from Jeff, I mean, and so we, we tried to plan it too. Like we had a lot of discussion and, you know, you have to get people, they have to want to be in it too. And you got to try mm -hmm. to find them. And then like, you know, some other things too is, you know, in some journalistic approach, when you do an interview, whatever you say is fair game. And that was another thing we had to tell people we're like, Hey, look, you know, we're so everybody that was in there, they received their, you know, we sent everything back. They had the ability to potentially, you know, improve or change or nix things or do different stuff. So it's a lot of coordination because there's 15 different contributors in there past Joel and I. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of that was also like trying to find and you know, try to put them in the book in a, in a, in a method and manner that it flowed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of these folks and, and you don't know who you don't know who's going to say yes. Some people agreed to do it and we can just never track them down either. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of that. So as far as breaking it down, some of it was, uh, you know, like. I mean, I can't, if Joel knows Huey Lewis, then he's the best person to talk to him. And then on some of it, like I did the interview with Jake and some of that honestly was to also just kind of mix it up a little. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. you talk about like a journalistic angle, like I'll have a different conversation with Jake than Joel would. Right. Right. So yeah, that had something to do with it. So how long did you say this whole thing took from conception to now how long was that how many two years, years. Two years that's right. yeah and I can tell you why because it honestly should have taken about six months but um so Joel and I both have really busy lives Joel had a baby within the context of this book being written and our agreement with with each other was so we're, we're basically 50 50 partners in this book and but the thing that we had to agree upon was that the other things in our life took precedent. Like, mm -hmm. so we've had, you know, we were both very mindful of that. And I, I mean, I have 200 employees and sometimes that sucks my life force, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. and yeah. Joel with Joel being on tour, having a kid, I have two kids. Like, so, I mean, we were both very patient along the way. And we also wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't force it because it needed to not suck. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a huge, huge piece in 
creating anything. And I think that's actually yeah. touched on in the book too, actually, you know, talking about Take your time creating. and get it right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So that is, that's advice that you can, you can pretty much apply anywhere in life for sure. So you asked about the conversations and because we got to like, let's give, let's give the listeners some, some juice here. So one thing that was kind of funny, so Joel, obviously, I mean, I don't know Susan Tedeschi or Vic Wooten or Huey Lewis. So Joel has these conversations and, uh, you know, as we get these onto paper, um, he sent them back to me and they were like long. I was like, Joel, we can't put 5,000 words per conversation and this book is going to be 900 pages long. It's already 400. Yeah. I said, so you got to trim it down. So he'd send it back to me. I'm like, dude, we're not even close. This needs to like trim it. He goes, I, he basically said, I can't because it's very difficult for me to determine what's really important here because it all feels important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, that was where I kind of went through and, uh, and, you know, had to really kind of chop it down. Um, cause like, it's a long book. I mean, we had to literally make the book wider and taller just to make it only 400 pages. My other books are, are five by eight. This one's six by nine in size. Yeah, it, it did take me a little bit of time to read it. Um, <coughs> and again, I'm a mom of three and we're we're in the thick of summer vacation here. So it's a little bit of a crazy house right now around here. So well, <laughs> it, it know, was a little bit of a read, but it was good. By the time, by, by the way, when you write a book, by the time you actually uh, write it, you've read it so many times it's almost you're almost like oh i gotta read this again <laughs> so yeah it's like, it's like a, a writing a book the best part about writing a book is finishing it yeah so yeah true. yeah <laughs> i bet it is i, I bet mean, it is you know, it's funny because i tell myself like in, i get in that last 10 percent of all three books i'm telling my wife i'm saying I'm never writing a book again. And then when we get to the end, I'm like, you know what? I've got a couple other ideas for book four. <laughs> the, the same thing happens with kids, though, I think, too. That's how people wind up with more than one kid. You're like, I'm never doing this again. And then. then yeah, I, I get it. I'm hoping I'm serious on that one this time, though. Oh, yeah, same. Same yeah, on that one. Sure. My wife wants to have another kid. I told her, I'm like, I'll be 62 at a high school graduation. It's not fair. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so do you play music yourself? I'm a hack, but yeah, I can play instruments. Um, that's what first attracted me to the music industry. I mean, I, I, so I worked in music and in musical instruments. I ran a chain, I managed a chain of uh, retail stores and then did some piano, you know, opened some piano stores in uh, Washington, D.C. for a couple that got a license agreement there with Yamaha. Then I moved to Indianapolis, worked for Roland for a while. Um, I'm not a gifted musician, but I can I can make some music. I'm not I, I watched Jake and Brendan play guitar and I and I quit after I was like, I was like, OK, so I'm clearly not very good at this. I'm going to focus on some other things. And I'm not I'm, I'm halfway not kidding there. Well, no, I mean, you're just kind of like, OK, I'm going to stick to my strong suits. You guys obviously have that taken care of. So yeah, maybe. I'm just going to sit here and watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm like, wow, OK. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm real. I am really passionate about music. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's been interesting because my wife will give me a hard time because I really like I'm a huge fan of Humphreys and 
And she's asked me before, she's like, well, if you didn't know those guys so well, would you still be think, would you still love the music the same? And the answer is yes. I mean, it would, it would, that's just my jam. I mean, I've always been a jam guy. I look like a mid, uh, like a 45 year old accountant from the suburbs, but, um, you know, really in the end, like, I mean, that's my jam. So the, and they're good. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, Jake, so let's Jake, talk about- Jake and Brendan made me quit playing guitar for sure. <laughs> I think I'm sure. So sorry, I, I got to obviously people like to call me while I'm, I'm on here. Um, so let's talk about jam music then. Uh, what is your journey with jam music? Where did that start? Oh, man. You know, so I'm I'm 44. Um, my mom raised me on like, you know, listening to everything from like the Beatles to Simon and Garfunkel kind of went through that high school classic rock phase, um, discovered fish when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. And that really moved me was really way into that. Um, you know, kind of went through that kind of standard progression. And, um, honestly, like when fish went on hiatus, I was like, you know, I listen to music like all day, every day. Like I really am passionate. Anything that's done well, I'm, I'm cool with, but jam more so than not. But when Fish was on hi- hiatus, I was just really like, I felt like I had this like weird void. And uh, I was watching HDNet, which was like an old, like, I don't even think it's on, but Humphreys had this like five minute piece that was on. And I saw him and I was like, whoa, that's, that's awesome. And uh, I went to Best Buy the next day and bought Anchor Drops, and which was also weird because my sister just happened to be visiting me in Washington, D.C. that week. And she's like, how have you heard of Humphreys McGee? Well, she went to Notre Dame, so she was wow. familiar with it. Yeah, I know. It's just like weird. So I ended up seeing uh, Humphreys not too long after that, but. Um, and, and just fell in love with their music, but I, I've enjoyed other stuff in the scene. Um, I've been privileged enough to like get, get to know some of the people that Humphreys has introduced me to. Like I, I'm an Aqueous fan. I like listening to, to Mike Ganser and friends with They're Rob, their drummer. And, yeah. Yeah. New York. You're in, no doubt. Yep. Yep. Those guys have a lot of talent. And, you know, when people come through Kansas city, I've been able to reach out to some cool people and go see them. But, but yeah, that was kind of my journey and it's a kind of long story short, but um, yeah, I mean, really was way into fish and Humphreys honestly like did better for me than fish. Cause it, mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's a little more angsty and I mm-hmm. needed that. I needed that. That's definitely how I feel too. I get a, get a lot of slack sometimes because uh, um, Umphreys is my favorite I, jam band, my favorite country band, my favorite, uh, uh, reggae band, my favorite pop band, and maybe my favorite rap artist when Andy gets the mic. <laughs> so how many Umphreys shows have you been to? You know, I honestly have lost count a long time ago. It's probably in the range of 60, 50, 60. Um, not able to haven't over the last I haven't been as super aggressive, but I don't know, it's been a bunch. It's been a nice. bunch. Yeah. Nice. So what I I'll ask you some questions that uh I, I like to ask other Umphreys fans. Yeah. Um what's uh what is a place that you have not seen them that you would like to? Wow, that's a great question. 
Man, I've seen them a lot of places, everywhere from Red Rocks to like when they were when they opened for Dave at Alpine Valley. Where would I like that to see them? I, you know, honestly, all right, I'm going to give a different answer. I would like to see those guys in a massive venue as a headliner. Like, I feel like they deserve that. You know, I want to mm-hmm. see them in like like the big box setting that some of these other bands get because I know they'll they'll bring it and do it right. Um, mm-hmm. I think that'd be, I think that'd be cool. I mean, and I don't mean as an opener. I mean it's like, hey, this is our show. We get to do what we want here. So I'd love to see them be able to like do a tour and I think that'll that'll happen for them but I don't know I, I think I'd also like to go like see that happen at some place like the gorge mm-hmm. uh, I don't know somewhere scenic somewhere cool somewhere where it's not a thousand degrees yeah for sure are you going to Iceland in March no no, no. I I don't know I, I'm not currently planning on it that was- <laughs> Virtually because I forgot to try to buy tickets and it sure sold out fast. Yeah, that was that was definitely a whole thing for sure. <laughs> I have ADD, so asking me what I'm doing in March of next year is like asking me to tell you the future, like for real. Right? <laughs> yeah, it can be hard. The only reason I'm such a planner is because of my kids. So, yeah, I, it's not my forte. I mean, a, if you ask me again on like February 23rd of next year, I think I'll be able to be a lot more precise with my reply. <laughs> Give me a better answer. Okay. Um, if you could choose uh, one song for Umphreys to cover that they've not yet done, what would you choose? Oh, man. God, you realize you're asking that and they have like a 300 <laughs> song cover. Like what have they not covered? I know, I know. Well, usually some, somebody will give me, you know, it's definitely something that is like a, a song from, you know, when they were growing up that meant a lot to them that they know for sure they haven't I'd covered, like to, but it I, is. I would like, I would, can I, I would like to hear them go front to back for the entire Sublime 40 Ounces to Freedom album. How about that? Wow. I'll take wow. the whole thing. I'm getting greedy, but I'm going all in on that. Not a song. <laughs> no. I want a double. I want a double album. That's wow. That's asking for a lot, but I like it because you have. Well, to. if you don't you ask, if you don't ask for it, you don't get it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think I'd probably. I mean, there's probably some like I don't know. I like I I used to love Sublime way back in the day. I think there's probably some songs out of their catalog that I think would be fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure. They did, I think recently when uh, Ryan and Brendan did their little show, they did a sublime song. It might have been the very first time they did something like that. So I like to think that when they do stuff like that, they're kind of testing it out for you know, later on, bringing it uh, to the table. So I've, I've always kind of wondered why they didn't hit some sublime songs here and there. And I don't mean the obvious ones. I mean, there's some good ones in there that I think would, would probably fit really well within their their range. I think personally, I mean, and, and this is just like, obviously, you know, my opinion, I think that especially, I mean, and this was brought up in the book too, when they talk about covers and, you know, should you, shouldn't you sort of a thing, you know, it's definitely wanting to make sure that they are giving the respect to the artist sure. in the original Doing song. Well. So I'm sure, yeah. for sure. And I'm sure as, as an artist that can be intimidating, even as, yeah. as 
good as they are, you know, it's still got to be an intimidating thing to not only take that a song on, but then play to do it, it well. for people. And, yeah. yeah, and everybody's going to listen to it a hundred times and critique it. And, yep. you know, so I'm sure there's that level of like, oh, I don't know if I want to <laughs> put myself out there like right. that. That's that's yeah. next level for sure. By, by okay. the way, but one of my one of my favorite songs they do cover is actually is Rebubula by Mo. Oh, they do such a great job with yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Maybe maybe I might like that better than the one the ver than Mo playing it. Than Mo does. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've definitely said that before and I, I love Mo. It's so, I know it's so you're like, hey, I can I might like this better, your version, but yeah. Trying to yeah. be, you know, cool about it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. What are you going to do? We're trying like, to be I real. I love you guys, but absolutely. I'm all about being a realist. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> so what is your favorite original Umphrey song? Oh, man, that kind of evolves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, the one that really grabbed me, like, way back in the very beginning was Two by Two. Um mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think that, and this, maybe this is just too cliche, but, you know, like, All in Time has, like, made me cry before, like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, me too. You no, know, and, yeah. and, like, I mean, it is what it is, but, I mean, I've always, like, that, I can never really hear that enough. Um, I think for some of the newer, I like some of the newer stuff, like Attachments and Mad Love. Have, have, I mean, the, the thing is, is, you know, like, some of those are just vessels for the jam that occurs in the middle, and that's always changing, mm-hmm. so it's a tough question to answer, like. When I listen to Humphreys, like, it, you know, is I really do have earbuds like all day, largely so I can tune out most of the stuff around me. But I find I find section like moments in shows that are not really the ones that are the most obvious that seem to like grab me and I'll find myself listening to them over and over. I kind of wish that I had kept a journal because I forget what they are and then move on to the next one. But yeah, the Nugs app has really like been like the greatest thing ever for me. Oh yeah. Over the last oh, several I, years. Just because, yeah. It's probably my, one of my most used apps. Like I, I use it all day long and it's, I love might it. Be the, might be the best 10 bucks I spend every month for sure. Absolutely. And I like what you said too about with, the different songs and the jams I feel that way about certain songs like attachments was a song that I was not a fan of when it first started being played but now as it's grown and they've expanded this in different ways like it's it's totally different ball game now with that song so now when it comes out I'm like okay you know, maybe I'm still not the biggest fan of attachments, but I know we're about to go on some sort of journey here. So yeah, well, I mean, that's some of it, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, like I said, you never really know. Like, I mean, I found these moments and I don't know, like I'm kind of a nerd like that, you know, like I, I find these like little weird moments that I think probably most listeners aren't really like stuck on. And then I think about it. I'm like, it's like something Jake does. And I'm like, that just like, like I'll give you an example. So we were up in Detroit um, doing some interview stuff to finish the book and uh, Hajima Mashte on night two. Like, I mean, Jake was just like basically spraying lasers out of his guitar in the middle of it. And I went back and listened to that like a hundred times. I was just like, this is just inhuman. Like, how do you do that? You know? And Mm Um, you know, just so, so if you can find those moments in any music, whether it's Humphreys or something else and it, and it moves you or, 
get you up or like does something to, you know, like, I don't know, man, anything that moves you is, is worthwhile, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's something that we'll segue into. I like to ask people, what is a way that Umphreys has inspired you in your personal life? Oh man, it's, I mean, honestly, it's been the soundtrack to my life for like the last decade. Um, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of, um, I mean, I don't know. I've just listened to it a lot. I really don't. Uh, I, I like, like I said, the Nugs app has, has enabled that to enabled me to continually kind of dabble into what's going on. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I find meaning in different stuff that they do different songs, uh, for different reasons. Um, you know, I mean, 10 years is a long time. You have some good years, some bad years, some ups, some downs. So, I mean, honestly, for me, uh, the hall of fame albums, I, I wrote all three of these books. My, the portion that I did for the current one and the last two books were largely written listening to those in, in that collection of albums. That's amazing. Yeah, Joel actually will send me a text now. He'll say, hey, man, the Hall of, I know, I know you, you really love the Hall of Fame because I tell him, I'm like, I become particularly productive when these come out because I mentioned earlier, I made a joke about ADD. That's why the jam stuff's good for me because it like that long drawn out, I kind of just, it puts me in like a, a, I don't know, a little bit of a zone. Um, yeah. Uh, and like the lack of singing, which by the way, is what some people don't like about the genre is actually what I like. Because um, mm -hmm. like I said, it just lets me kind of, if I find the right stuff, it'll help me lock in. So I think overall, it's really kind of helped me be productive and, move myself towards my own goals, personal, professional, and physical. Very awesome. So if you could describe Umphreys in only three words, what would they be? I get three words. You get three words. I want to say like a smart ass answer, like, like just <laughs> like, they're just okay. Um, and I mean that like, cause if I, any of them heard that, like, I think that that would be funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm going with that. Like, by the I way, like I, I actually, I, yeah, they're just okay. <laughs> I like that. Hold on. When you talk to Joel, I want you to ask him what a complisalt is. It's, uh, okay. These are, these are the things that, that people say to you that they intend to be complimentary, but aren't. Oh, okay. and he'll, and just, to, uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it, it's just funny. Some of the things that people say to them along the way, you know, like, so yeah, they're just okay. Yeah. Or, well, I'm sure. I'm they sure. Have, have, here you go. This would be directed right at Joel. They have potential. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good. Three words too. <laughs> tell, him I, tell him I said that when you talk to him, say DeCourcy said, you guys have a lot of potential. Where do you think that's going? I'm definitely I'm writing this down so I can add that to my he'll know he'll know yeah yeah, yeah we'll, we'll 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 joke like that I'll, he'll have hey, of, of both people that are writing this book you definitely have the most potential as a writer <laughs> I like that I and I like Joel's sense of humor that it that's right. really a, that a lot of fun interacting with him <laughs> 
like that. So that's all I have, but I want you to plug anything that you have, your books, your podcasts, anything on your end that you want to plug. Here's sure. your platform. Well, if you want to, uh, you can find me on things like Instagram. I'm at DeCourcy Matt. Uh, also, you know, I mentioned earlier, I host a podcast that comes out four days a week. Had listeners in 176 countries, <clears throat> which is crazy, by the way. Um, yeah, that and, is pretty crazy. I do weekly episodes, and that's that's a lot. Well, of work. people tell me they're like, "It's crazy." You come out, this comes out four days a week, but it's crazy is how many people still listen to it. So I'm sorry if you are still listening and don't know why, but we try to have fun and have quality content and be real about it. So it's called the Startup Hustle Podcast. You can find that just about anywhere. Um, if you want to check out my other books, it's pretty easy to find. You can just go to Amazon, type in Matt DeCourcy. So, yeah, 